Hello everyone, you're listening to Cinema 5000. I'm Mallory, here to talk to you about some films I've recently seen. Uh, we've got five films on deck for this episode, and before we discuss, let's talk about numbers. We're at 5,315 films, the first of which that we are going to start with is from 1984, excuse me, 1994, it's Cemetery Man, which is also known as De la Morte de l'Amour, directed by Michel Soavi. The uh, tagline is, zombies, guns, and sex. Oh my. <laughs> I quite like that tagline. In <laughs> uh, the summary is this, a cemetery man has the unusual problem of the dead rising from the grave. Himself and his assistant must end these creatures' lives again after they are reborn. Everything is going well until she comes along. The main character of No is Francesco de la Morte, who is played by Rupert Everett in a very sexy, fun role. He's the zombie killer you've probably always wanted to see on screen if you're someone like me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's very uh, charming, a little bit like... <laughs> How shall I say it? Um, <laughs> British uh, Ash from Evil Dead with a lot more sex appeal to the degree that if you're someone who is into um, men, you might enjoy to some degree. <laughs> um, he's just very suave and, you know, charming and fun. Um, not to say that uh, Bruce Campbell isn't suave and charming and fun, but <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, Francesco, <laughs> or Francesco rather, uh, he works in this cemetery as the titular cemetery man and always finds himself having to get his gun out and shoot. But then this she character, she, who is played by Anna Falci, comes into his life and sort of puts him at odds with his general uh, business in the cemetery and then his uh, fascination with her and lust. And uh, this is a fun time. It's a very odd and strange film that has like a poetic side to it, but then the zombie stuff, and then it sort of becomes a thriller in some ways, and it's quite offbeat. And, you know, I'm describing it here, but it's still kind of strange to describe, but it is very much like an Italian kind of horror film, <laughs> uh, as by the name you might have uh, guessed, and Michel Savi is an Italian filmmaker who has made a couple films, uh, a couple, at least one film I've seen before, uh, the film uh, Stage Fright from 1987, which I would also recommend in line with Sedentary Man. Stage Fright is like really graphic and out there and very giallo-inspired. Cemetery Man isn't necessarily giallo-inspired, but it has some fun gore moments here and there. Um, uh, Dead Alive is a movie that it reminded me of, but it was very much going for, like, sexy, seductive kind of stuff, too. Like, Rupert Everett doesn't wear a shirt in a lot of this movie, and there's a, there's a reason for that. And this is a good time. I would definitely recommend A Cemetery Man from 1994, directed by Michel Savi. And, uh, I would say, you know, if you are looking to watch it, because it's, it's something I had to search to find once I discovered its existence, uh, go on YouTube and look up De La Morte, De L'Amour, and you will find it. And that's where I 
watched it and it's really good quality um there's a version out there that is clearly like ripped from an italian dvd uh but it looks great so cemetery man from 1994 i gave it three stars and uh i don't know this might be a movie like where i watch it again and i like it even more than the first time it just had a like uh how do i say it like kind of a it was a little bit of a push and pull for me at times with it because it just went directions I wasn't necessarily expecting and it was a lot to take in, but there was enough things about it that I appreciate it and feel like, yeah, I would probably watch that again. This is a movie I wish like would get uh, released on like a Blu-ray by like Shout Factory or, oh, I don't know, uh, Vinegar Syndrome or something like that. Uh, it's got enough about it where it's like, yeah, maybe I would want to own a copy of that <laughs> uh something that has nothing to do with cemeteries and has um well it's it's taylor swift the aerosaur <laughs> from 2023 directed by sam wrench um i went to the theater and i saw this opening night i figured if i was going to see this movie and talk about it um that was the best way to experience it. <laughs> there is no tagline, but the cultural phenomenon continues on the big screen. Immerse yourself in this once-in-a-lifetime concert film experience with a breathtaking cinematic view of the history-making tour. Now, I'll be blunt and say I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. Like, I've there's maybe a couple songs of hers that I like. Um, I've listened to, I want to say, a majority of her albums at least once through just to give them a shot. But her music and her lyricism isn't really my thing. Uh, I think overall, though, as a theatrical experience, uh, if you're not a fan like I am, uh, you'll get through it just fine. I was so prepared for this to be a movie that I couldn't take with the audience and just how things were because Taylor Swift has such a like huge fandom that... Uh, you're either in or you're out. You're either part of it or you're not. And I'm not part of it at all. Um, but uh, I think for a concert films, there's plenty of things to like about it. Now, granted, I think sometimes the production values of it maybe could a little bit been a little bit more grand. Um, I found it interesting that some of the songs I really don't like, she kind of got away, got out of the way at the beginning and it was like, okay, all right, cool. Um, specifically, um, I don't like the man and I don't like, you need to calm down. The, the songs are those from lover. I believe. Yeah. I don't like some of those songs though. Lover has a couple songs on that album. I actually do like but <laughs> but as she gets going she sort of bounces back and forth in the concert between different albums uh I'm not too familiar with the album speak now I don't think I've listened to that but that one got the shaft there's only one song from speak now I'm pretty sure that is in the movie uh yeah she like comes out once and then she changes costumes throughout for different uh songs and pieces um evermore an album I actually did like I didn't like I did not enjoy how Evermore was presented in the concert. Um, she didn't do, I don't think, a single song from that that I do like. Uh, <laughs> the tolerated set piece where she is like sort of doing stage play with one of her dancers, like they're performing together and acting more or less a scene. And I just, I, I could have gone to the bathroom during that, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> uh, that just wasn't working for me. I think it was, it was, it was kind of interesting to me how, uh, she wants to portray the different albums and the different songs that she features, uh, in such 
different ways depending on what the album is and obviously she makes things really personal so like with the um stuff from uh the album reputation it's all about the snake stuff and yeah and that's a little more extravagant um i think that's the part of the film where it's the most successful because she's really going for it and also i was also sitting in those seats that are what they call the butt kicker seats so like the thumping of the songs like look what you made me do like really pulsating through which gave like the concert a lot of life but once you flip then again to uh, albums like folklore it's not there at all and it's just kind of sleepy and folklore was the uh album that when the songs from it were presented a lot of the people in the audience went to the bathroom I could tell that like the people seeing the movie with me there were just not into it and I actually was really surprised how many songs from folklore were featured in the concert film um because I just didn't think that was really I mean I don't really mind the house and I don't really think the dancing and the costuming was bad at all it just I don't know, as a collective piece of all of these different eras that she's joining and uh, bringing together from the albums, um, that one was just kind of the biggest snooze as much as like Evermore was also not really necessarily working for me. I think Evermore's place like made a lot of sense. I don't know. I feel like it's, it's, it's difficult. I'm also coming from this as a place of someone who's not a fan of Taylor Swift. So However, it's presented in the actual concert, not in the film, I'm sure plays like so much different because this is just portions of it. I know the show is like over three hours long and this concert film is two hours (laughs) and 49 minutes long. And I could tell at the two hour mark, which was probably around the time that folklore was maybe almost over, I could tell the audience was like, really like, oh my gosh, this is, this is long. This is really wearing us out. Um, And it's too bad (laughs) because they were very pumped, my audience. (laughs) Uh, There was a lot of clapping after certain songs. Uh, Some people were like, you know, putting their hands up in the air, uh, turning their cell phone lights on to sort of, instead of doing like a lighter, you put your light on on the back of your phone so it shines. And uh, it was a little annoying, but I'm not the Swift fan. I'm not the person this is for. So I was just like, you know, whatever. This was a kind of experience where I was just going to let the audience do their thing because I have been the kind of person to tell someone, if you're using your phone in the movie theater, uh, please shut it off because we're here to watch the movie, not watch your phone and your light, whatever it's doing. But I was, I'm not the audience for this ultimately, <laughs> but, um, in the words of Taylor Swift, I could tolerate it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I actually found like the section of 1989 to be kind of, kind of bad and kind of disappointing. I really didn't like the choreography and costuming. And then when she got into Midnight's, which is the final album she presents, Oh boy. Um, there's some clouds that are used in the song Lavender Haze, which is a song that I think is just okay. Uh, that gave me like high school production values and I'm sure it plays way differently in the, um, concert venue. Uh, I would hope, but it just didn't work for me. I thought the midnight section was just okay. It ends on a high note, but also at that point, it just felt like a very exhaustive experience. And speaking of exhaustive, I have no opinion of the song all too well. I do think the 10 minute version is like a lot, but, um, 
there was a certain dissolve and transition in the editing of her performing it that kind of felt to me like it was like making the passage of time for how long that song is just seem like oh isn't this a lot and it was just like oh my god they did that such a disservice with the editing there uh overall taylor swift the eras tour i would say was a positive experience like like i said i'm not really a fan of her music but as a concert film you can get through it you can survive if you're like a one of those weird people in the middle about being a fan or not being a fan or just not a fan like at all like me unless you really like hate her music then don't go you know you're not gonna show up you're not gonna pay for the ticket um but everybody who's a fan you're gonna love it it's it's her going all out with all her music and having fun um and in general i would say like maybe 90 percent of the costumes are like pretty good that she wears on stage and how they convey and work with the music and what she's performing and how she's doing it i have other opinions about the costumes but in the general context of like what taylor swift is as a performer and as a musical entity and um it works it's fine. So I gave Taylor Swift the Eras Tour three stars. Now, the one thing I'll say, um, <laughs> if you cut out some of the songs from Folklore and Evermore, um, you might have had a slightly tighter show and it might have worked better, but I guess that's ultimately not my call to make just because I'm not the audience. And as much as my audience like left during Folklore, <laughs> I was with a big audience and it was pretty clear that's when people were going to the bathroom, whether it was the length or the songs or what. Um, but, but I think that's where, um, it sort of becomes a bit much, uh, but Taylor Swift is a lot. And so her fans eat it up. So it's all for them. And I mean, I don't understand certain things about Taylor Swift, but again, I'm not the audience and it is what it is and people love her. So yeah, I mean, I paid the money. I saw it. I got the experience. I get it. It's not for me, but if it's for you, you're going to have a blast. So <laughs> I I have to give it a positive rating because of collectively, I just, yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, a movie I had been wanting to see for a while, just hadn't really got the shot to, and it's October, so why not? It's Candyman Farewell to the Flesh from 1995, directed by Bill Condon. The tagline is, evil comes when you call his name. The Candyman moves on to New Orleans and starts his horrific murders once more. This time, his intended victim is a school teacher. Her father was killed by the Candyman and brother wrongly accused of the murders. Now this stars instead of uh, the film, the fi the first Candyman film, uh, star, gosh, what was her name? Uh, okay. I'm going to look it up in a second, but this one stars, uh, Kelly Rowan. <laughs> you, you might recognize from the OC. Uh, <laughs> uh, she is the character Annie. Okay. So it's Virginia Madsen who was in the first film. So we've got another white woman in <laughs> the Candyman movie starring, uh, this time, uh, in this sequel. And so, why New Orleans, you might be asking yourself. Why are we so far from Cabrini Green? Well, you guys, just so you know, in this version of Candyman, we learn his origin story, which is the hot thing uh, these days. And it's definitely the hot thing in this movie from 1995. Way back then, they were doing origin stories of your favorite horror characters. Um, <laughs> but there's a story about the Candyman and how it's told, of course, ties back to things such as interracial relationships 
and people just being not so cool with that happening and the torture and obvious death of the Candyman and now the lore behind why he haunts this new character Annie and her family and how it's tied to Candyman. I was not the biggest fan of this movie. It works, but if you think too much about it, you might be like, well, this is a movie where they do an obvious disservice to some of the black characters and famous in fa favor to the white characters to continue what the first film sort of had, but it kind of left a weird taste in my mouth. Um, yeah, it just feels like this movie was just like, let's just build it around another white family and continue the Candyland stuff. And there was this stuff to do with uh, Annie's classroom that she works in in New Orleans. And there was children there who knew things about the Candyman. And it just felt like the movie cut things out to do with those children. And maybe they had things they knew and there's other stuff going on, but it just felt a little incomplete when it came to that part of the story, because ultimately it is really just about Annie and she's in almost every scene of the movie. And yeah, I just felt like this one was like not as deep as the first Candyman movie that talks about Chicago and Cabrini, Cabrini Green and the awful things that happened there. I like that first movie, um, but this one wasn't so successful for me. I gave this two and a half stars because it just kind of felt like there was stuff missing from it that would have made it feel like a more complete film. But for a mid-90s horror film that's a sequel and maybe, I don't even know if this played in theaters. I want to say it didn't. Now I'm going to look it up because luckily IMDb has all the old data of a box office and it doesn't look like there's a single box office number tied to this movie so I gotta assume maybe it was like something that just aired on Showtime or something else uh I'm gonna quickly scroll through this and it just I don't see anything so I gotta assume this didn't play in theaters because it kind of has that feel it has that feel of like sort of mid-90s sequel uh it does look like those Siskel and Ebert reviewed it on their show because now that makes me question did this play in theaters or did they just review it because they review sometimes stuff that's on cable? I don't know. I'll look that up myself. But <laughs> uh, Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. Yeah, like I said, it just kind of doesn't have a great story. I do like that newer Candyman film that I believe Nia DaCosta directed. Uh, I, I personally would watch that one again. I liked that it wasn't perfect again, but it did have a more satisfying conclusion for me over this Candyman movie. Uh, there is another Candyman film, <laughs> which is, uh, what is it called? Oh gosh. A uh, day of the dead. Are we going to go to Mexico now? Okay. Um, <laughs> we're just moving candy around and Ron. He's going all these different places. Uh, <laughs> what's next? Candyman Salem. Is he going to go with the witches? I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, uh, yeah. So anyway, Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. That's a, such a successful film for me. I gave it two and a half stars. Um, but the next film I also gave two and a half stars it is the movie The Baby from 1973, directed by Ted Post. And the tagline is, what goes on in this nursery isn't for kids. A social worker who recently lost her husband investigates the strange Wadsworth family. The Wadsworths might not seem too unusual to hear about them at first, consisting of the mother, two grown daughters, and the diaper-clad, bottle-sucking baby. The problem is, the baby is 21 years old. Literally, this is a man who is um, but truly a baby in this movie. 
And this social worker character, <laughs> um, when she shows up, she's very pushy and gentry. She's like, I, I need to check on the baby and make sure everything's okay. Uh, and the family is like really um, difficult and quite odd. The matriarch, though, Mrs. Wadsworth, um, who's played by Ruth Roman, I thought she was fantastic. Like this movie, I think, needed a little bit more camp and a little more fun it ends on a note that is like very like oh my goodness now it's not a straight horror movie uh it's more like a psychological drama when it talks about the baby and the family uh because mrs wadsworth is like you don't get to tell me how to raise my baby my baby's like this he's always been like this this is his life and there's some weird shit that goes on in this family and how they treat the baby um it's a little disturbing and uncomfortable at times how this movie portrays the angle. It feels like uh, like an exploitation film in some ways. And it's odd. It's, it's a different kind of movie. I was just like looking for something late at night to watch and I found it. And I was like, I don't know what this is. And then I look on Letterboxd and some of my friends gave it like really high ratings. And I was like, whoa, what's going on with this? But then I looked up like some more about it and I was just kind of like okay this is gonna be this is gonna be something different I'm just gonna have to give it a shot and I don't regret watching it like I said gave it two and a half stars but mm, it just it just just doesn't quite <laughs> work for me I don't know if it's just the subject matter or what but it's an experience and I can't quite recommend it to people mainly because I know this is going to be something that you'll watch like maybe the first 15 minutes of it and you'll just be like, what the heck is this? I can't watch this. This is too odd, too out there. But like I said, it's a psychological drama and its subject matter is just bizarre. It, it is different. And again, this is not like a real thing. This is a movie. This is very much a scripted thing that I'm like 99% sure is not based on anything real. It's just a movie from the early 70s that is out there. Um, <laughs> it is a little strange at times to watch the baby, the titular baby, uh, go through certain things because you are constantly hearing a voiceover, not really a spoiler, guys, but a voiceover sound editing insertion there of um, a real baby crying while there is this grown man portraying a baby it's out there. It's strange. If this has like any intrigue to you, you're like, wow, this sounds so bizarre. I have to see it. Definitely watch it. It's out there on Tubi. You can watch it with occasional ad interruption, but um, if that's what you're into, watching some strange movie for the 70s, go for it. Um, <laughs> I won't lie. I thought about maybe shutting it off a couple times, but I was kind of like, well, you know what? This is not long enough to really shut off and just leave till later. It's like, let's just finish it. But the baby from 1973 directed by Ted Post as I said give it two and a half stars it's not a horror movie like like I said it's a psychological drama in some ways but um its conclusion sure sure is a thing I will not forget anytime soon uh, <laughs> and speaking of babies um <laughs> let's talk about passages from 2023 directed by Ira Sachs uh there is no tagline but the summary goes like this 
in contemporary Paris, German filmmaker Tomas embraces his sexuality through a torrid love affair with a young woman named Agathe, an impulse that blurs the lines that define his relationship with his husband Martin. When Martin begins an extramarital affair of his own, he successfully gains back his husband's attention while simultaneously unearthing Tomas's jealousy. Grappling with contradicting emotions, Thomas must either embrace the confines of his marriage or comes to terms with the relationship having run its course. And this stars Fran Rogowski as Thomas, and wow, he's a piece of work. Um, but I've kind of met met some men in my life kind of like Thomas, and I've kind of ran away from them because... I uh, I am just a little afraid of what they are capable uh, as far as emotional destruction and relationship drama. Um, <laughs> this is certainly a love triangle of ways, and Martin is played by Ben Wishaw, who I thought was actually really fantastic in this. I loved his character. Um, Adele Archopoulos plays Agath, and she is the woman sort of caught in between this man that she's starting to fall from, and then the reality of what is actually going on with this character, Toma, it's a very, it's a very <laughs> tale as old as time kind of thing where this person might be so incredible, but so absolutely terrible to be with. And uh, I think it had a lot of truths in this movie about modern relationships and sort of the push and pull we experience of, you know, desire and lust and what's real and what's really really bad for us and uh i liked it i enjoyed this movie i wasn't too sure what to expect from ira sax because the last movie i had watched that he directed was the movie frankie and i loathed that movie i thought that movie was so up its butt <laughs> uh for different things <laughs> than passages but um i just i hated the family drama in that one i i gave it two and a half stars and frankly that's too high for that one i found that movie quite obnoxious uh and just plotting and how it was but Passages, I think, is a movie that I will definitely recommend is a relationship drama film, and it's uh, it's really interesting. I'm not going to say too much about it beyond that summary right there, but uh, by the end of it, I was I was pretty happy with it. I know I've been watching some movies. Uh, one of my friends was like, yeah, do you like any movies anymore? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> obviously from this episode, I've got plenty of good things to talk about. And Passages is the film uh, I would recommend on top of Cemetery Man. Uh, I gave Passages three and a half stars. You can rent it now as a digital rental for like $5.99. Or if you have a movie subscription, you can watch it on there. But I think what Passages presents is a very good uh, film and uh, one that I will have in my mind. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it, and I yeah, it takes place in Paris and ah, uh, Paris, it's beautiful. <laughs> uh, I would like to go back sometime and uh, not necessarily do the kind of things that Tomas does, but uh, yeah, uh, that is all I have to uh mention for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh. Passage is not a horror movie, but it is kind of a horror movie in some ways, and I'm hoping in the next episode uh, we'll have more horror films to talk about. I'm trying to dig and find, dig deep and find other things that I've never seen before to, you know, really give a discussion about um, things, not necessarily things I haven't seen before, but things I don't know about, like discover new things, and I'm 
paying close attention to like what my friends are watching like on what they log on letterbox like italian like giallo films are something i really like and so i'd like to find more that i haven't seen before um and uh cemetery man not a giallo but you know still something that like i had never heard of this movie until just like days ago and then I just found it and I watched it and I really liked it so more offbeat in different kind of horror movies not not the mainstream stuff like Exorcist Believer no 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 I'm not shooting for that kind of stuff I'm trying to cover my bases and find different things to watch here and there that you know are a little more challenging a little more crazy and bizarro and yeah you know what I mean I'm I'm going going far and wide <laughs> but um yeah but coming for newer movies in theaters um killers of the flower moon is opening at my local theater this weekend i'm really hoping taylor swift doesn't take all of the biggest theater house all weekend long so i can get a shot to see scorsese's new film on the biggest screen possible at least to my availability um i'm still gonna see it this weekend regardless of what you know happens with era's torn its brain uh, <laughs> so in the next episode i will hopefully have seen it if not um i will wait i will not review that <laughs> i will not have another episode where i review movies until i see killers of flower moon let's let, let me promise you that um so it should be next week that we have a new episode because i'm i'm pretty sure i'll be able to get it in how and when i don't quite know i just don't have my ticket yet but there is another regal mystery movie coming up as well so hmm i don't know if i'm gonna make it i'm like 90 percent sure i can but we'll see what happens you know the week ahead is an interesting one for me um i will let you know on the next episode what i end up seeing and yes it will include killers of the flower moon but i am mallory thank you so much for listening i will talk to you when i talk to you Hopefully next week. Okay.